Thank you very much. Today, we're going to talk about the crisis in Spain. Yeah, we're going to talk about the crisis in Africa. Yeah, Russia. Yeah, Russia. And I want to talk about the president of Russia, yeah, Putin. Yeah, Putin. Putin, listen to me. I have very important message to you. The message is, and the president of China, oh, I didn't finish Russia. No, Thank you to correct me, first lady. <coughs> Thank you very much. God bless you. And God bless. Thank you all. Hallelujah. Clap to your president. Clap to your president right now. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 70 of the Patriot Review. You're probably thinking, what in the heck was that? Well, it just keeps getting more and more embarrassing. That was Saudi Arabia TV mocking President, uh, resident Joe Biden. Uh, as I said, it gets more and more embarrassing. We look at uh, the things that have happened and, and are, are continuing to happen. Everything gets piled on uh, in the news uh just in the past day or so, the fact that uh, Biden is using a fake Oval Office because the teleprompter equipment, there are some times where evidently they can't use it in the real Oval Office. And he is, as we all know, sadly, honestly, uh, has dementia. And you can tell, and he is... Uh, don't wish that on anybody, so that is a sad thing, but it's more than evident that that's the truth. Um, and the incompetence has embarrassed the United States several times. If you remember, the Taliban also put this image out, and this, no, is, and this uh, is after pulling out of Afghanistan and leaving American, American citizens behind, behind uh, getting 13 uh, service getting members 13 killed who killed would who not have gotten killed have. if it were done correctly. Um, so that just keeps getting worse and worse. Now, I have a good show for you today, but before we get in that, I want to just mention that la uh, last night I watched, there was an 80,000 uh, viewer cap on Zoom to watch 2,000 Mules. Highly, highly, highly recommend this movie. Dinesh D'Souza knocks it out of the park. Uh, the evidence that is there is only a small part of what they said, I think, was 4 million hours of video. So, I mean, they, they combed a lot. There's more there. And they were talking about in the uh, introduction about what is a likely response. And I believe, just my belief, that they are saving some of the uh, stuff back so that um, as the criticism comes out, and it already started, actually started before the premiere, um, We've had articles coming out uh, lying about 2,000 meals and, you know, saying that it was part of the big lie. And as we know, as Mike Lindell says, the big lie is the big lie. And that is absolutely the truth. And, uh, I, again, I highly recommend the movie. Now, we're going to go into an interview with Sarah Mitchell 
after a short break. But this is, uh, she's setting up social media pages. This is a Facebook page. The link is in the description below. And uh, you're going to want to connect with this young lady. And uh, uh, all of these stories are very heartbreaking. And they all involve uh, the loss of a family member. And sometimes when we just watch talk shows and we have people that come on and they mention what they've had to bear during all of this uh, ridiculous COVID nonsense and the COVID protocol nonsense, um, maybe we don't quite make that link. So I wanted to, to show this picture. Uh, I wanted to say thank you very much upfront to Sarah. And uh, we are going to have another family yet devastated by the COVID protocol issue uh, coming up in uh, the next show next week, which is all part of a series. And for those of you on Frank's speech, the series graphic is this, um, Kilt the Cash, Violating the Oath. The first episode that I did that will also be part of the series is with Mr. Scott Sherry on his daughter, Grace. And that is episode 58, if you want to go back and watch that. Um, all of these stories are absolutely devastating. And we we definitely need to be aware and to stand up and take action as a country because what has happened is truly inexcusable. And uh, so I, I'm going to take a quick break, do the commercials up front so that you can watch the interview in its entirety. We'll be right back. Review show description below to view natural products that can actually protect you from EMF and 5G and even improve your sleep. Skeptical? Get the free Dangers of EMF Radiation ebook free by clicking on its direct link also in the show description. You can also learn more by watching episode 62 of the Patriot Review. Hey Patriots, you can save up to 66% at mypillow.com when you use the code TPR. That stands for the Patriot Review. That's TPR or call 800-519-9927. That's 800-519-9927. I use these products myself. I can tell you they are the best quality bar none. So go ahead, use the code TPR and get up to 66% off right now.
coming to you from the land of common sense and American pride. Not a unicorn or rainbow in sight. Welcome back to the Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner. I'd like to welcome Miss Sarah Mitchell to the show. Sarah is someone very special who I met at a rally for Scott Sherry. You may remember I had him on to talk about his daughter, Grace. And tragically, this COVID protocols and COVID uh, medical treatment uh, story is affecting thousands of people, not only in our country, but around the world. Uh, Sarah lost her husband, unfortunately, Kyle, who was 39, to COVID treatment protocols, and she is sharing her story bravely and wanting to get the word out there as to what happened, and uh, it's a it's of critical importance, obviously. So, Sarah, welcome to the show. I uh, I appreciate you. you being here. I know it's not easy, and we'll we'll go through and discuss it to, to whatever level you'd like to today. And I have to say right up front that yes, you have a little puppy who's very very uh, uh, energized here today. So. Uh, the viewers can hear him, I'm sure, but that's okay. We'll we'll go through this and stick to what's important. All right, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's an honor, and you know, I uh, I'm doing this, and the people I meet while doing this now, I've done it uh, only a year, a little more, and the people I meet are fantastic. There's a lot of folks out there that are struggling with this whole uh, COVID situation and the vaccine and whether or not to get it and the, the abuse on freedoms. So again, I really think it's important that you're here to tell your story and I really appreciate it. So I will let I will step out of the way and let you uh, tell your story and I may just interject for points of clarity. So sure. uh, go right ahead. All right, so um, in November 2021, um, my husband on November 7th started having a cough, very mild symptoms, um, and my daughter did as well, who's six years old, and so um, that was pretty much it. It was very mild at the beginning, and then as the days went on, a couple days went on, uh, he started to feel like muscle aches, the chills, started spiking fevers, and then a couple days later, I started getting sick as well with the same symptoms, but I was always like a little bit behind Kyle. Um, so once he lost his taste and his smell, um, I told him maybe that he should go to urgent care and get tested so that we would know if it was COVID. Um, so he was tested on November 11th is when his COVID test came back positive. Um, and he was still doing okay. It was still a lot of fevers, headaches, things like that. We're managing everything with Tylenol and Motrin. Um, around that time, shortly after he got his positive diagnosis, um, I, I pre previous to this, I had heard about, you know, ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, um, alternate treatments, or any treatments for COVID that I heard, you know, they were having good success with and kind of hear like um, about the hospitals, kind of what's going on, but kind of vaguely what's going on because still kind of, it was kind of new, I guess, at that time. 
And um, but I always heard like vent, bad, remdesivir, bad. Um, I heard Dr. Artis, one of his, um, him speak one time. Uh, so I really didn't know too much about remdesivir at the time, but I knew like it wasn't good and we were gonna try to avoid the hospital. So I um, contacted one of the telehealth doctors and got a prescription for Kyle over the phone. Um, he did for um, ivermectin and azithromycin, a Z-pack. And so we went to the pharmacy. At this time, we're all sick. My son wasn't sick at all. He had no symptoms, so we were just quarantining him. But um, so we went to the pharmacy, two local pharmacies, and they they filled the azithromycin, but both pharmacies told me that they could not get or or could not fill the ivermectin prescriptions. So, and why did they tell you? What was the reason they gave you for not being able to fill that? They didn't give me a reason. They okay. said one of them said something about the dosing, and they needed to verify it, and they needed to talk to the doctor that prescribed it. And then we gave them the contact information, and then they still came back and said that they couldn't fill it. And what's your background, Sarah? I'm a registered nurse, and um, I work in labor and delivery, so, like, we get mildly sick COVID patients or asymptomatic mostly, um, so my interaction with COVID patients is very limited. And, but, I, um, and I have to say here for the viewers, um, the rally that I met you at, there were several nurses there, and even yeah. though you're a registered nurse, as you tell your story, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I am shocked at the lack of um i guess professional respect that yeah. that you were shown and you're not the only one so i just wanted to point that out you are a registered nurse yeah. so i mean you know something about all this stuff and yeah. uh so the pharmacy told you they couldn't give it to you they didn't really give you a valid reason yeah. go ahead and pick it up from there um so we kind of like we're just gonna keep trying to find other places, but we were sick. So we were trying to rest as much as possible, take care of our kids, get better. Um, so as the days went on, I, it was November 14th, Kyle started feeling like he was having a difficult time taking a full breath. Um, prior to this, Kyle had no medical history besides sleep apnea, which I understand, you know, sleep apnea is not just something to write off, but that was his only medical history. Everything else is fine. He, he's he goes to the doctor, everything has been perfect, blood pressure perfect, everything. So he's a pretty healthy guy, and he's only yeah. 39 here, so. Yeah, so um, very active with work and everything, fit guy. So he was just having a little bit of trouble catching his breath, so um, I said, well, that telehealth doctor didn't give us any steroids or anything, maybe you need that. Um, so I, I, we made an appointment with urgent care, which was the next day, and actually I had a pulse ox um, home reader to check his oxygen. I ordered that to like a couple days before, like online. So it came right away and his oxygen was reading like 84 to 94%. Um, so we thought, okay, we can make it, you know, through the night to urgent care and hopefully just get steroids. So the next day we went to urgent care and he went in by himself and, um, they took his vitals and his oxygen was 91% and they told him that he was hypoxic and they wouldn't treat him there and that he needed to go to the emergency room. And basically the nurse got on the phone with me and kind of gave me a slap on the wrist for, I'm a nurse, I should know better. Um, and told me to take him to the ER. So we were afraid, um, because you hear extremes from both sides, mm -hmm. you know, the story about COVID crap. So we listened to them and trusted them because they're healthcare 
professionals as I am too. So we trusted them and we went to the emergency room. So he went in by himself because of course you can't have visitors with COVID. And um, I just waited for a little bit and then went home and waited for him, updates from him. And he said that they did um, a CT scan and x-ray and he didn't have any clots or anything that they could show on the CT, but he did have atypical pneumonia consistent with um, COVID. So they started him on an oral and um, steroid. And I'm pretty sure, I haven't gone through his complete record because it's very, very overwhelming, but from my memory of what happened and going through the text and stuff, he was on room air. And I did see like his ER uh, note um, when what I have gone through the records and his action was 98% when they admitted him to the hospital. So they were gonna keep him for observation and give him steroids. So is that normal to have a discrepancy to 91 to 98% from? Well, it fluctuates, so it's not always the same. So if you're taking deep breaths, so like in the hospital, um, like if I work with a patient and uh, I don't know, there's you if you take their pulse ox and it's like 94 or whatever, because it should be 94 or above unless they have some kind of lung injury um, or lung disease. So you just tell them to take a couple deep breaths, you know, and then you could see the oxygen come up. So it does fluctuate. Yeah. So at 98%, I mean, he's he's not in any danger at 98%. No. Okay. So uh, go good. on. Sorry. Yep. So um, at that time is pretty much when the remdesivir conversation started. And we had asked about monoclonal antibodies. Um, we asked about ivermectin right off the get because once, I think the day that he went to the hospital, um, I actually, either that day or the next day, was able to hunt down a pharmacy that would fill the ivermectin. So within the first couple of days, I got that prescription filled for him. Um, I had to go to a compound pharmacy and get that filled. So I had that on me. And so we were asking about the ivermectin and they were refusing, you know, to let him take his own prescription that was, you know, written and filled by a doctor in a pharmacy. Um, and they just kept on with these remdesivir conversations and they were continually telling him that there were patients in there like him, similar age, everything like that condition, and that they were getting remdesivir and they were like improving and they were getting better. And if he didn't take the remdesivir, then they weren't sure um, if he was going to make it or, you know, this whole thing is so unknown. They can't make any guarantees. They just kept on pushing it, pushing it and telling them about all these other patients that were getting better from taking it. Now, did so, they give you an option? Did they give you an option to, to take him back home at that time? Or what were they saying about that? So, no. Um, no, it was um, on the 17th, so he was admitted on the 15th, and the 17th, they were going to discharge him home because he'd been doing fine. And uh, like we just said before, is like your oxygen fluctuates, you know, with movement, not movement, whatever. And um, when they were going to discharge him home, they checked his oxygen, it was 88%. And at that time, they put high flow oxygen on him. And I also want to mention that they we're not continuously monitoring his oxygen during those first two days at all, even though he was supposed to be there for a rest, you know, they told me hypoxia, you know. Right, a respiratory condition yeah. that they're and not yet, monitoring, basically. So I guess what strikes me with all these stories, they all have this similar um, 
this similar um, event going through where these their their loved ones when they're in the hospital they're almost militant about keeping them. It's like yeah. you know I've I've never heard one victim of these COVID protocols, which is what you are, yeah, uh, say to me that they were given an option that okay, well, if you don't like what we're doing, you can take your loved one home. Yeah. Uh, did, did did that strike you as strange? I mean, you've been working in healthcare, right? So. The, the uh, you whole... know, at, at first, I didn't think of it like that. Um, they were going to discharge him. He seemed to be doing better. The remdesivir conversations were continuous from everybody. And he was mm -hmm. asking questions. And I told him, no, like, we don't want that. And he was telling them we didn't want that. Um, but when they were going to discharge him and they took his oxygen, it was 88, and they threw that high flow on him and scared him. I don't know what they said or whatever. Um, but that night, I think just so many people had got to him, bullying him and, and terrifying him about what could potentially happen if he didn't take the remdesivir. Um, he made that decision and he did consent to remdesivir. Now, he was he was very afraid. Um, I talked to him a lot in those first couple of days and he, he seemed to be doing OK. But when they like I think they like freaked him out when his oxygen was slightly low and threw that high flow oxygen on him and kept on impressing him and telling him he couldn't get monoclonal antibodies because he was too sick. I think he was he was afraid and 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 I can't blame him for making that decision to take the remdesivir because he he was scared and he just wanted to do whatever he needed to do to get home. Do you so, do you know uh, whether or not they gave him the facts as to what the what the potential risks were like they're required to do? I do not know. Um, I knew that it caused it was it had potential to cause kidney injury or kidney damage, and I told Kyle that. Um, but it, whatever, I don't know what they told him um, to make him consent to it and decide to take it. Uh, one thing that it crosses my mind when I when I hear these terrible stories is that Americans are kind of conditioned because every time you see something on on the television advertising for a prescription drug, what do you hear? You hear laundry lists of potential side effects and everybody begins to think that well these potential side effects side effects are so so rare that right. yeah so it almost um, it almost desensitizes people to the situations like this one which now in my mind can be directly blamed and these people are directly responsible for yeah. and the research is out there and i have to say I have to I have to say this it's my opinion but I believe that the information was out there that they still knowingly went ahead and pushed this stuff mm -hmm. and they are re directly responsible for what I believe is murder and I believe that with all my heart so yeah. so up to this point you have him making the decision that he would go ahead with the remdesivir and what yeah. happened after that um, so I believe at that time they started giving him IV steroids also, and I was asking about budesonide for inhaled steroid. Um, and I would talk to the doctors. Uh, they were probably being a little more courteous to me because they know I'm an employee at their sister hospital and I'm a nurse. Um, so I would talk to the attendings like once a day, and um, I talked to him that day on the 17th or that night, I believe. And the attending told me that they would not give inhaled breathing treatments, nebulizers to any COVID patients because it, it will aerosolize and spew COVID everywhere, which 
does not make sense to me because my husband was alert and oriented. He was in an isolation room. The respiratory therapist didn't even have to be in the room. They could have stood outside the door and he could have held the nebulizer, but they were so adamant. I even talked to, um, I think it was the pulmonary doctor and they said the same thing. And, um, so anyway, that, that was that. I, I even asked about getting a negative pressure room and the attending doctor, you know, how TB patients are in negative yeah, pressure yeah. rooms. I know hospitals have these things. I'm not right. an idiot. Um, and he said, well, that's not going to happen. That's like the answers that I would get. Wow. Yep. And I'm hearing that also a common thread in this is that the family members are treated with, you know, talk about discourteous disdain. Uh, yeah. that's that's been shocking for me yeah. you know and growing up in the united states i think we we all just take for granted that these people have the best interest of the patients at heart and what we're finding out is that's not so and, and we're finding out more and more every day about the payoffs and the cash behind yeah. a lot of these decisions and it's disgusting yeah it is so <sighs> so um yeah, um, once you started getting the remdesivir is when things, he really started to get worse. And like I said before, they weren't even checking his oxygen, so who knows if, whatever. But um, so uh, each day it was like he had the high flow on and then he would have a breathing mask over it. Um, and so we were watching that for days and hoping, you know, his lungs would heal and things would get better. Well, kind of at the same time, I'm literally logging into Kyle's my chart like every single day, checking all the labs, watching every single thing, because I'm like, you guys are gonna be checking the kidney labs, right? And if, if something goes bad, um, like you're gonna stop it. And and they were fine, like throughout the, he got the five day course of remdesivir. Now the kidneys were okay at that time, but like I said, his, his um, consumption for oxygen was increased. So he was needing more and more oxygen. Uh, also, at the same time, uh, towards the end of November now, his white blood cell count started rising. And I had been, like, watching it, but it was, like, continually rising, rising, rising. Every single day was going up and up. So I questioned them about that, and they told me that it was the steroids. And I'm like, are you sure it's the steroids? Because my husband is now, like, not up and moving like he usually is. And if you're telling me he has viral pneumonia and they were refusing to treat it with antibiotics because I asked that from the get-go... You're saying it's a virus. It's not going to treat that kind of pneumonia. But if that fluid is just sitting in the lungs and the patient's not up moving and, and doing deep breathing and things like that because they're desaturating because they're having difficulty breathing, um, then that is a high likelihood of it turning to bacterial pneumonia. But they would not listen to me or hear me out. Um, they just kept telling me it's increasing because of the steroids. It's increasing because of the steroids. So, so that point, that point's a big, has a, is a major point to me. The bells are ringing because this happens every day, especially to mm -hmm. people who are older, right? I mean, they go in and a yeah. lot of people, you know, they have a surgery and they, mm -hmm. they, their lungs fill up and they, they have pneumonia eventually and could, could even die from that as a complication, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, they know what this is. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so odd to me how pneumonia is so different than COVID pneumonia. Cause once you get the COVID label, it's like this treatment protocol and you can't vary outside of that at all. It doesn't matter if it's still pneumonia, you get this COVID label and everything we've ever known is gone out the window. It's this whole new thing. Um, so yeah, they were like refusing to kind of acknowledge that that was, I was like, okay, whatever you guys, I'll keep watching. We'll keep watching. 
Um, so we video chatted my husband on Thanksgiving. Um, actually, the day before Thanksgiving, we were video chatting a lot. And he was, like, feeling good and doing really well. So the next day, I went to his, his dad's house um, for Thanksgiving. And his mom came over, and we were video chatting. And I could tell, like, he wasn't feeling as well. Um, he just said that he was having, like, a harder time um, catching his breath and that he had this pain in his, like, neck and his back. And the nurse or whatever, they came to the conclusion that he kept, the monitor was behind him. So he kept looking behind him to check the monitor. And it, they thought, like, he strained his neck or something doing that. So they gave him Tylenol. So the day after Thanksgiving, um, I think I got ahead of myself. Um, but At this point in time, how long has he been in? You were, about two weeks? Yeah, he's about two weeks. Um I, I just remembered something before Thanksgiving. Should I go back to that? or just Yeah, talk? absolutely, if you want to share okay. it. So it was actually um, on November 23rd uh, because they wouldn't let me in this whole time. So my husband was never, Kyle was never tested for COVID in the hospital on his admission. Uh, this whole time they treated him with the remdesivir, this, their treat, standard of care for COVID. So I was getting irritated because the miscommunication, I wasn't there, I was only seeing what was over the chart. You know, they would tell me, basically tell me, ma'am, your husband's alert and oriented. Like, I don't need to make this time, basically, to make these calls and tell you everything that's going on or make these decisions when your husband can make these decisions. But anyway, I was getting so tired of all these antics. And, and I was like, you never even tested my husband for COVID. Yet you're doing all these things that are COVID. And at this point, he could be negative. So the doctor argued with me and told me that they did test him. I said, no, you didn't. He was tested in urgent care. And you guys, it's not even uh, affiliated with that hospital. So you guys are just taking his word for it. That's bad practice. Not to mention that the tests were known to be uh, yeah. erroneous very, very frequently, right? Right. So the other thing that really strikes me here is you're an RN. I mean, there are other RNs going into his room, in and out of his room. You obviously know the safety protocols. You're an RN and yeah. you're his wife. What was the reason exactly. that you couldn't be you couldn't be with him? Oh, they told me that um, I'd be risking myself, which I already I understand when I had COVID not going in there, but I was already past my quarantine at this point now. So yeah, I was risking myself. I'm like, well, that's crap because I have antibodies, <laughs> you know, natural right. immunity. Right. Right. And um, then they said even if I went in there, gone in you know, gown and all that stuff, that I still just being in his room and taking off in whatever, being in the halls and being in the hospital is putting other people at risk too. But like you just said, there's, I mean, what is the point of that PPE if right. if it doesn't do anything? Right, right. Well, I don't want to talk about myself, but I but I know all there is to know about PPE and masks because I'm a degree safety professional, worked in, worked in the business for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crap. And it's, it's yeah. uh, you know, anybody... This, the thing that stuns me about about Americans today is when do you just take the information you have and know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there is no reason for everything that's been happening except for that there's a nefarious reason. There's no reason that, that they would be behaving like this. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm angry for you. And, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's rather obvious what they were doing. But um, so up to this point, they were insistent that doctors were were not answering your questions directly. They're starting to get combative with you, yeah. even though you're his wife and giving him 
and giving you the information about him mm-hmm. and um, what happened after that. So they did finally test him. I was hoping at this point it would be negative, but you know, they're their tests that are not so great, um, it unfortunately did come back positive still. So that didn't get me in like I wanted it to. Was um, it a PCR test? Nope. Yep. Okay. Yes, it was. So it was the test that really isn't reliable. Exactly. Um, so then around, like I said, around Thanksgiving, um, he started having this pain and stuff. They gave him some Tylenol the next day. Uh, they called me and told me that they did an x-ray or he, I can't remember exactly if he was having some, his, his oxygen was dipping some, he was desatting or what happened, what the situation was, but they did an x-ray and he had a small hole in his lung, a tiny hole in his lung, they said, um, and which is a pneumothorax. And at that time, they didn't have to do anything about it because it was so small, but I did get a call from the attending doctor and he told me that if they had do a chest tube if the hole got worse that my husband would have to be intubated and I said he would have to be intubated and he said well yeah yeah most likely and I'm like okay this guy so what, um, did, you, what did you say to him or did you what, I, did you react to him at all or did you just I say this guy's lots full of crap? interactions over the phone with this doctor not impressed at all with his manner with me um he would tell me things like well i know the x-ray is going to be worse and i could hear he's in his car not in front of my you know in front of a computer um in my husband's chart and i said what do you mean you know the x-ray is going to be worse are you looking at it and he'd be like well no it's going to be worse though and then in another instance, he would tell me, well, I can't predict the future. And I'm like, well, you're predicting the future there. And then you're predicting the future that my husband's going to have to go on a ventilator. So I just can't like, it was just like, he was very condescending towards me. Um, and it was never like, I never felt comfortable with so, the conversations that we had, but it was like, you were at their mercy, no matter how many questions, they always like went around in circles and made you feel like you were dumb. Well, you know, this is, uh, I've worked with a lot of doctors in my in my field because of workers' compensation and stuff. And there's one thing I will never be amazed by, and that is the extent to the uh, level of egos that a physician yeah. can have. But um, so in this case, it almost sounds to me like the, the treatment course was predetermined and he was going to make the, he was going to yeah. make the uh, evidence fit the, predetermined decision to go ahead and and Mm -hmm. and why at this point do you know why they're doing that money (laughs) i don't now i know yeah this is all i mean this is how this whole thing goes right you get your remdesivir you get worse you you get vented because you deset or whatever you're you have untreated pneumonia um, that damages the lungs. Of course, the lungs are going to get worse if you're not giving the right dose of steroids, if you're not giving breathing treatments, if you're not treating the pneumonia, if you're blasting oxygen, high-pressure oxygen in people's damaged lungs, of course, they're going to get holes in their lungs, you know? Right, and this what people have to understand, the viewers have to understand that this isn't just, uh, you know, this isn't just, this isn't fiction. I mean, there no. are guidelines that have been given as to the the monetary payout for these milestones in the COVID protocols being met. Yeah. And this is something that we've seen across the country and it's probably across the world. Um, they're getting they're getting large cash payments. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I've heard, you know, hundred grand for getting, getting, uh, uh, someone on a ventilator, you know, and, and people wonder why, I mean, is greed really that bad? The answer? Yeah. Greed yeah. is really that bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so go ahead. So he's. So after we had that conversation, I, I like drove to the hospital and I was like, I'm going to get in there. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm calling the the charge nurse. I'm calling whoever I can get a hold of, uh, the house officer, whoever I can get a hold of to get into the hospital. My husband's condition has changed. The doctors tell me that he's going to potentially be on a ventilator and they're, they're going to have to let me get in there. Now, I drive 45 minutes to get there. I'm in the phone begging and pleading with these people, talking to the nurses, talking to the charge nurse, talking to the the um, house manager, like the nurse that's a, you know, in charge of the whole hospital. And they, I'm like waiting, waiting. Someone finally calls me back like an hour later and tells me, um, have you talked to the doctors that's caring for your husband? Because um, from their standpoint, he's stable. And I'm like, he's stable. I understand he's stable at this moment, but I literally just had a conversation with the attending that my husband might end up on a ventilator. I want to see my husband. We did not have conversations about, you know, DNR, uh, like ventilator, things like that. Like I'm 36, my husband's 39. We've never had these conversations. And um, so I begged and I pleaded with them to let me in and they still would not let me in there to see my husband. So basically I just texted him. My friend came too and she sat there in the parking lot too. And we both texted him and just told him, you're not alone. They won't let us in there. Um, and then after a few hours, it got late and I had to get home to my kids. And um, they called me the next morning and told me that um, his oxygen dropped again because the hole got worse. And they, they oh, actually, they ended up putting in a chest tube and that was okay. Like it, it helped release the pressure, you know, the, um, the escaped air. So that, that did help. But overnight and into the morning, it wasn't working at effective enough and his action was dropping again so they called me on the phone and told me uh, around 10 a.m or 9 a.m when i was bringing my daughter to school i was literally walking my daughter into school and they called me and told me that his action was low and it was staying low and that they needed to um sedate and ventilate him to save his life and this whole experience has been such a nightmare and your head is so like just mind blown to everything that's going on. You can't believe it. And you don't know what to think and you don't know how to react. And they wouldn't let me in there. And I'm trying to, you know, interpret everything from home and not seeing what's really happening. So they held the phone for Kyle and I told him that I loved him. He said, I love you. And I said, don't be afraid. I love you. And he said, I love you again. That's, and that's the that's, last time I talked to my husband. That's heartbreaking and, and inexcusable. And these people must be held accountable. And yeah. yeah, I'm so sorry that you are going through this. This is not the United States of America that I grew up in. Right. And these people are murderers. This is, yeah. this is genocide. It's crimes against humanity, period. Um, Fauci is at the forefront of these evil, evil people. And I'm, uh, I just want my viewers to know that, you know, these stories, this is common. That's a, this is, 
this is uh, sadistic, satanic, uh, and we have to help people like Sarah. And if you can at all donate, go to the link that's in the description to help bring these people to justice. And the thing that I kept thinking about as you're going through this story is your young kids. Yeah. You know, and how you know if you're if you're happen to be watching this and you're a medical professional who has taken part in in this type of behavior. Number one, you're not a medical professional. Yeah. And number two, you're you're evil. And I want you to live with the thought every day of what you have done to the children and grandchildren and spouses and friends and family of the people that you participated in killing. Exactly. Uh, and I hope that you suffer every day. I mean, and this is, <laughs> I'm so angry for you that, yeah. you know, I better not say any more <laughs> because, yeah. because uh, uh, we have to focus on, we have, to, you know, there's one thing about Christians that the far left doesn't understand. Um, being a Christian doesn't mean you're a doormat. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean you forget. And we cannot forget. Mm -hmm. We have to bring these people to justice. So I want you to share, Sarah, um, what you think is important for people to take away from your story, what you would like them to do, and how they can help you and others. Um, so there's a lot more to the story. Um, I mean, this gone the the main things yeah that, that don't make sense i mean this is happening this is happening and you like my husband was i feel like he was a prisoner and we were at their mercy as this went on he was on the vent for like six weeks because um a, a couple weeks later he went into kidney failure and he was filling up with fluid they did dialysis on him every day it was like all these meds to sedate him and paralyze him which makes no sense because you have a rest if you're having respiratory difficulty putting all these medications that are respiratory depressants on top of that is just like a, a recipe for disaster right, these are the these are the drugs the same drugs that are part of the protocol the same drugs we heard about with uh grace shara scott's daughter who, who passed away basically um sedation so it it lowers the the uh respiratory response right so it's exactly. so it depresses it and right. so and, how do you get off a ventilator yeah so i mean it's it's flat out murder pure and simple yeah. and i want people to go to get the rest of your story you got it pretty well written out there yeah. go to this give send go give send go is a uh christian uh organization that you know as opposed to the go go fund me which yeah, i'm not going to say anything that isn't true so they can they can shove it. Basically, they're the ones that kicked people off uh, mm -hmm. like you who have gone through this absolutely sadistic experience. And uh, so go to Give, Send, Go. The link's below. You can read the rest of the story. You can um, you can donate. I highly encourage you to do that. And um, what else, Sarah? What else would you like people to do? Just know, like, I didn't know before about... Um 
like I knew about the telehealth doctors and things like that. There are like people that can help you even if you go into the hospital and like do your research about remdesivir and and um, like they just kept refusing anything. I would ask multiple times for different treatments, not just the ivermectin, other things. I got a lawyer. Um, one of the nurses said incriminating things about me. Um, and so that whole lawsuit got shut down. Um, and that was like them trying to stop me. It's like pure evil. All these steps that they have taken this whole way. There's so many things that like happen for all of this, like just to implode. Um, so that they made sure my husband didn't make it out of there. I, I don't understand. It's it's pure it's pure evil. It's complete evil. But there are people that that can help you get the things that you need at home. Obviously, I'm not like if someone is like really suffering and they need to go to the hospital. Like if that's what you feel like you need to do. But there are people that are out there that can help you. The frontline doctors and nurses um, that you can get in contact with. And they, can, you know, there's these compound pharmacies. If anyone wants to contact me, I can give you some contacts here in Michigan. Two pharmacies I found because I ended up getting more ivermectin for Kyle, a higher dose from another doctor when he was in the hospital. They still just kept on refusing to give it to him. I had to go through all these hoops. But if I would have known all the things I know now, like if I knew as much as I knew about remdesivir that got shut down in the Ebola trials because it was killing 53% of the participants, why they're using it now is beyond me. Yes, Fauci equals evil in my mm -hmm. mind. Um, he's the ringleader. Uh, he's um, he's he, the American Dr. Mengele. He's worse than Dr. Mengele. He's killed yeah. far more people. Yeah. And uh, he, also, he also directly profits from the treatment protocols. Oh, yeah. As we know, uh, being a patent, uh, partial patent owner. Of course. Um, yes. So how do they contact you? How do how do people contact you? Uh, I mean, they can contact me on Facebook. Um, I'm not really on any other social media. Unfortunately, I need to branch out, I guess, uh, to some more secure, some more secure, less censored things. Um, but I'm not really too much involved on it. But if anyone wants to message me or I can give you my email, Jeff, if anyone, you know, I can help. Yeah. Guide anyone, get these pharmacies, the doctors, how to get a hold of them. I mean, you can go to the frontline doctors. I think Push Health is one, protocolkills.com. They have information on there how you can get in contact with how you can be treated at home and hopefully, you know, get the early preventive treatment before it gets to a point where you would ever need to be a hospital. Because a hospital to me now, especially with COVID, is like a label on your head, is like money, 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 and it's like a death camp. It's so sick and it's so evil. And I literally was like living this nightmare, even though I knew in the back of my head all the things I had heard, I never thought, I never thought this would happen to me. You know, they kept telling me he's well, young he and he's healthy. And, you know, that was ingrained, like, we'll get through this. And I was very sick, but, you know, I made it. And, and Kyle was just always, like, a little bit more sick than me. And it was just we thought we were going there to get, you know, maybe a little action, some steroids help home. And it was, like, just downhill plummet since he got the remdesivir and since we got into the hospital i never imagined this would ever happen well what american what american would you know right. i mean it, you you got into the nursing profession what has it done to you um as a as an rn yeah i i thought everything was wonderful before all this covid stuff and i know things in history have not been great but this is the one that's really affected me and most you know in my life obviously so it's really opened my eyes i i tried going back to work because i work in labor and delivery so i thought oh you know my little shut off area i don't really deal with covid patients um but being back there was very, very difficult for me. I don't think, I don't know if I can even go back to that. Uh, I'm going to leave again because I just have so much anxiety. 
potentially PTSD, I'm in therapy, um, just being in the hospital, hearing the beepings, just seeing vital signs, lab work, everything like that. Like it's really, I'm really struggling. And, and I, I encourage anyone who's watching this happen because you know what's happening if you're watching this unfold. And, and I want to believe that there are good healthcare professionals there, but you, if you're watching this and being a part of it, then you need to be the ones that are speaking up because right. that is a lot our stories plus that is a lot more valid than just us. We we need insiders. We need people who are seeing this and need to stand up. That's what you you took an oath to do no harm and you are literally going along with it because it's you need a paycheck. It's your livelihood. What about yeah, us? Yeah, exactly. There was a there was a uh, a website I have on my phone here, uh, nursefreedomnetwork.com. Yes. Um, nursefreedomnetwork. It's all together.com. Yep. Um, another nurse that was at the rally yep. uh, founded that. Highly recommend if you're a medical professional, go check that out. Yep. Um, we need we need people to stand up and be bold. And I mean, you want to be you want to be you want to leave a legacy, people. Um, you know, I always talk about the legacy of freedom. Well, how about this one? You know, how about this one? A legacy of of actually speaking out and speaking up and putting these these evil SOBs away. Yeah. exposing them no it's not going to be easy but compared to what sarah's going through it certainly isn't isn't anything so sarah i want you to uh to reach out anytime if there's anything that i can do for you personally i i would love to share your links if you want to send me those links i'll have those in the description i'll add them to my resource page as well sure. and um all i can say is that you're you're in my prayers and i ask everybody to put you in theirs as well and um, thank you for telling your story i you know i can't imagine how difficult it is but uh you know i commend your courage and uh i wish you god's blessings going forward and anything we can do we'll definitely do thank you so much jeff thank you Hey Patriots, it's Jeff Wagner. I love my pillow products. I use them. I can say that they are simply the best quality that you will find anywhere. And you can help us all out, all Patriots, including Mike Lindell, and our mission to restore America by going to MyPillow.com today and using code TPR. That stands for the Patriot Review, so it's easy to remember. TPR. Save up to 66%. You can also order by calling 800-519-9927. Again, that's 800-519-9927. Thank you and God bless.
Ignore the thought police and subscribe or follow the Patriot Review. It's your patriotic duty. So that is my interview with Sarah Mitchell. Um, it's heartbreaking even to watch it. And Sarah, I, I really appreciate you having the courage to stand up. There's a, a lot of courageous people in America. Uh, Sarah is certainly one of them. I really uh, would ask, please donate. I will put the link in the description here at the end of the show. And it will be it will be up for you to click on. As you can see, um, it's time to it's time to not use the excuse that our lives are so busy that we just can't keep up with everything. If you look at the picture of this family and you think about the story and the reality of what has happened, then uh, you look at the new disinformation police straight out of Orwell uh, or Orwell's 1984. Now this would be considered disinformation according to the fascist left and it's not it's truth and you saw it's true you could you could tell that there was no political motivation whatsoever and i think we all have to come to terms with with the fact that this is not the america that we grew up in it can be it can be but we have to defeat these fascists these globalists that are attacking us at all on all fronts, whether it's using COVID like they did, or if it's you know the mandates and taking your freedoms away, destroying businesses, uh, whatever it is, I mean it's coming at us from all fronts. So all I can say is it's time to wake up and it's time to speak out and it's time to not be silent and just go about our daily lives worrying about what we're you know gonna do for dinner or post on facebook and how popular we are it's time to leave all that crap behind and it's time to get right with god and it's time to do the right thing and i <clears throat> i beg i implore you if you're a doctor or a nurse and you have something to say about the pressure to do things that you know are wrong I'd love to have you on the show. As a matter of fact, I did interview one nurse who was in that exact position, but she's having such difficulty with it that um, uh, basically I I can't show it until she says I can show it. So the victims here are in all all walks of lives. It's uh, there are plenty of good people out there um, who are afraid, and I would encourage to come forward. If you want to do that, you can contact me at redbloodedpatriots at protonmail.com. And um, I'd be happy to interview you and get you on as well. Uh, so this all ties in, as I said, there's so much happening. Um, now, next week, I will have the second part to this episode, which again is, an, is another tragic story. As I told you, it's part of a, a series. If you're on Frank's Beach, you can see that you can find this series graphic, and that's what it's that's what it's about. You saw an ad for High Treason, which is a docu series that we're producing. I'm very excited about it. We have uh, multiple topics. The first one will be basically the history 
of treason in the United States, then we'll target uh, the real insurrection, which is related to uh, the January 6th event, the election, uh, you know, the uh, the false narrative, what I call the American Reichstag fire, which was January 6th, which we know was a lie. And we, we know that Ashley Babbitt was murdered. That'll be part of it. Um, I'm, I'm having some excellent uh, guests. Sarah will be one of those guests in the COVID episode. So I appreciate that as well. So be watching for those. They'll come out over the course of this year. And there are six current episodes slated. I'm working on a dedicated uh, web site for that right now. Uh, I also encourage you to go back to the beginning to watch 2,000 Mules to see the evidence there and share that. Now, in our, in our episode, quite frankly, uh, we are going to be going through in the high treason episodes what the definition of treason is and the other legal definitions that categorize things. Uh, at different levels of, I guess, uh, severity. And the panel will be discussing the facts that they know, the facts they're aware of, and whether or not they think there are players that really are guilty of, of treason. If so, why? If not, why not? And um, you can see here that we are a uh, uh, not saying that all this is coming from one party, because quite frankly, it's not. We talk quite frequently about the uniparty and how destructive it is to this country. The people on both sides of the aisle that want to keep things status quo, that want to gain in wealth and power. And quite frankly, we all need to take it upon ourselves to get rid of those people, to expose their corruption, their, their criminal acts, and to make sure that they are tried and convicted if uh, they are indeed guilty. So I had a hard time even picking out you know, where do you end with the faces that you could post on here. Um, anyway, we will be doing more uh, trailers and episode-specific trailers, and you'll be seeing that. A reminder, please come back, join us next week and every week on Sunday at 4 p.m. Central. Uh, go to Sarah's page, make a donation, if you have uh, the chance, go back and watch the episode with Scott Shera. And uh, again, next week, we will see you and we will have great guests coming your way in the future. We got Clay Clark. We've got uh, Kevin McGrary, the founder of All Black Lives Matter or Every Black Life Matters. And um He's also the chair of the Frederick Douglass Foundation in California. So he'll be coming up um, and several other great guests, Ohio Brett, and there's a bunch of them. So please stay tuned, uh, support the show. It's always greatly appreciated, and we will see you next week.